If someone asked you this morning to summarize your life in six words, to summarize your life in six words, how, how would you do that? How would that go for you? To summarize your life in six words, it happened one time in 2008, an online magazine called Smith actually posed this question to its readers, and they did it because there's a classic version of this. Someone once asked Ernest Hemingway uh, to write uh, a story in six words. And so Ernest Hemingway wrote that story in, in, in six words. It was for sale, baby shoes, never worn. And, and that was the story. It became a classic because uh, it conjures up so many things, right? I mean, uh, we, we just were in California for a few days last week taking care of a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And one of the things that you notice, there's a pile of shoes, uh, and they all look new because they grow so fast. Uh, and certainly babies, they don't wear the shoes uh, or they, they don't walk in the shoes necessarily. And so you find that they've grown out of them before they've really gotten any use out of them. And so, uh, or it just means you never put shoes on your baby. I don't know, but it, it tells a story and that became a classic. And so they took this idea uh, of writing a story in six words. And they said, if you want to, uh, and they asked people to describe themselves, to write their biography in six words or less. And, and so many people responded that it almost crashed their website. And they ended up um, publishing a book with these six word memoirs. It was called Not Quite What I Was Planning. That was the title of the book, because most of these six-word stories told um, somehow they communicated that life isn't always what we planned, that life somehow uh, has twists and turns, it has open and closed doors, it has circumstances in it that we could have never guessed, that we could have never planned, and, and life always seems to turn out a little bit different uh, than we had in mind. And so people responded like crazy to this idea of writing their memoir in six words. So I was thinking about that. If, if you could write your story in six words, what would you say? Um, we're going to look at that over the course of the summer. We're going to start a series this morning called, Oh, the Places That We'll Go. And the idea of, of this is that God sends us, we're on this journey with the Lord, and we find ourselves in places that we never dreamed that we would be. We find ourselves in circumstances that we would have never expected, um, that life doesn't always seem to turn out the way that we planned it. There doesn't seem to be a script that turns out just the way we thought it would turn out. And so we find ourselves in these times in our lives when, when God is doing something in our lives, that God's put a door in front of us, he's put an opportunity in front of us that, that we're just not sure of. But what we know is that we find ourselves in places that we never expected, that we never necessarily thought uh, that we would go. And we got this idea from, again, I mentioned him last week, great theologian, Dr. Seuss. He wrote the book, Oh, the Places Will Go. And let me just read you a quote uh, from his book. It says this, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction you choose. Oh, the places you'll go, except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. Uh, kind of classic Dr. Seuss, the places we'll go. Uh, and it, it, when we think about this and we look at it, it just feels right in our lives because we find ourselves in these places. We find ourselves with opportunities, 
But we have to make a decision, do I really go or not? And when you read the Bible, you find that from Genesis through Revelation, it's filled with stories about people who had opportunities, who, people who had open doors, and the decision is always going to be whether or not they'll take it. So you get a character like Abraham in Genesis, and God said, I want you to leave Haran, I want you to leave your, home, your birthplace, I want you to leave the place that, with, uh, with your, where your father is, and I want you to take your whole clan, and I want you to move to another place, and, I, and there's not really a name for that place yet, but you're going to go and take everything with you, and and when you get there, I'm going to use you to create this great nation. And, and you know what that really looks like yet or how it's going to play out. But just trust me, we're going to do that. And so I want you to pack up everything and go now. And Abraham had this opportunity. He had to decide, was, I, was he really going to go? And then we get to Moses, and, and Moses is out tending his, his father-in-law's sheep, and, and God comes to him in a burning bush and says, I want you to go back to Egypt where you're you know, outcast, where, where you're a fugitive, and I want you to get, go to my people. I want you to tell Pharaoh to let them go, and I'm going to lead you, and you're going to lead all the, these people to the promised land, and, and you're going to go to this place, and, and, and you'll know where the promised land is when I tell you, when you get there, but it, it's kind of still unfolding, and Moses is supposed to decide if he is going to go back to Egypt and risk his life and risk everything that he has and take the people of Israel and go follow God to the promised land. And then we get to Joseph, and Joseph is sold into slavery, and he finds himself in the temple, or he finds himself in the the palace, in the king's court. And and even Joseph even said about going, God's opportunities and going through the door that God had done something so special that what men had intended for evil, God had intended for good, but he would have never have guessed it when he started that journey. He would have never known that when he started walking that direction, when he went through that door. And as we go through the Bible, we find time and time again where these incredible doors, these opportunities open up, but we don't know what's on the other side. We, we don't know what's gonna happen. We know it's not exactly what we planned The decision is, do we trust God enough to go through the door? That's what we want to look at this morning. We're going to use a story out of the Gospel of Luke. It's a story of Peter. And Luke 5 begins this way. It says, on one occasion, Luke is a historian. He's a doctor and a historian. And so Luke wants us to understand that he's accumulating a bunch of stories, a bunch of events in the life of Jesus. He's writing this biography. And so he says, on one occasion, there are many occasions, but on this one occasion, here's what happens. He says, while the crowd was pressing in to hear him, to, uh, in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. So here's the scene. This is the wide-angle view of what's going on. Jesus is teaching the Word of God. He's, he's preaching. He's preaching the gospel to these people. He's on the shore near the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias. It's an ancient place. Uh, it's fed by the River Jordan. It's 16 miles long. It's a center of the, uh, the Galilee region. It's an important uh, place that all of the cities around it have, have significance. Jesus has uh, come to this place. He's teaching them. There's such a crowd pressing in on him uh, that he looks around for a place to stand, a place that he can teach from. He sees that there are a couple of boats that have been brought up to the shore. And so he saw two boats by the lake 
but the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So here's how the story develops. Jesus needs a place to teach from. He sees the two boats. He tells Simon, Simon Peter, he says, look, Simon, I I need to get in your boat. I need you to push it a little bit out in the water so that I can teach these folks. And so Jesus gets into the boat. It goes a little bit out into the water so that he can see everybody and he can speak to everybody. And and what the story says is then he sits down to teach and, and keeping in the rabbinic tradition that the rabbis would always sit when it was time to teach. So when Jesus sits down, everybody knows that now's the stuff is coming. Now he's ready to teach us. Now we're going to hear about God. We're going to hear what Jesus has to tell us. So he sits and he begins to teach all of these people sitting in Simon Peter's boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So now the story sort of shrinks down and it focuses. We've gone from this wide angle view of Jesus teaching the crowd to now it's a story about Peter. And Jesus looks around and he's finished preaching. The crowd's starting to break up and he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I got this great idea. Let's go fishing. We'll bond. It's going to be this great thing. We'll we'll push out into the deep water and you and I'll fish for a while and and we'll be out here and we'll have a great time. And and Peter is a fisherman. This is what he does for a living. This is an awkward moment for Peter because nobody fishes during the day in the Sea of Galilee. You see, the nets that they used were called trammel nets and they were made out of linen. And so they would make these nets and they would fish at night because during the day, the fish can actually see the nets. And if a fish can see the net, the fish is not going into the net, right? I mean, they're not completely lame. They won't just go into the net. They'll avoid it. And so because of that, the fishermen using these trammel nets always fished at night. The fish couldn't see the nets. They'd go in the fish, you get them, you're good, right? Well, Jesus tells Peter to do something that no fisherman in his right mind would do. The fishermen, actually Peter and and his brother Andrew and James and John, their business partners, they're actually on the shore. They've been mending their nets and cleaning them. That's That's what they do every morning when they come into the shore. That's their routine. You fish at night, you come in, you clean your nets. You, you mend anything that's torn, and then you go to bed. You go home and go to sleep, and then you start the same thing again the next night. But Jesus says this day, Peter, Simon, I, I want you to go out into the deep water with me, and, and let's, let's fish a little bit. And there's a door here. There's an opportunity that Peter has to decide, what am I going to do? Now, the truth is, it's embarrassing to fish right now. Everybody on the shore, everybody knows nobody fishes during the day. Peter, this is what you do for a living. You know better. This is completely humiliating. It's the dumbest thing you've done in a long time. Nobody throws their nets over the side during the day. But Jesus has told Peter, let's go fishing. Let's throw our nets over. Peter, what are you going to do? Are you going to be humiliated in front of everybody? Are you going to take this risk? What if you throw them over? And, And of course, nothing happens because the fish can see the net. What's Peter going to do? You see, in our lives, we all face these moments, right? We have to decide, here's an opportunity. 
And we have to decide, do I trust the Lord enough to do something that might be contrary to my common sense, that, that might feel a little bit risky for me, might have the potential of embarrassing me a little bit, maybe a lot. Am I going to trust the Lord in this? And we know how the story goes, right? Peter throws the nets over the side. But first he says in verse 5, Simon Peter said, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I'll let down the net. So the very first thing Peter says is, Master, you see, he knows who Jesus is. He has this idea of who Jesus is because in Luke 4, Jesus is at Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is sick and Jesus touches her and heals her and it says she gets up and, and she fixes a meal for them. She serves them. So Peter already knew a bit about who Jesus was and what Jesus was capable of. So he said, Master, okay, we fished all night. I really don't want to do this, but if you say so, we'll throw the nets over. And he does. And what happens is that, and when they had done this, this is verse 6, it says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, breaking so many fish, just jumped into their nets, that their net was breaking, and they signaled to their partners, James and John, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So what happens is they throw the nets over, there's so many fish that the boat's starting to go under, they have to call their partners over to help them, they fill both boats with fish and now they take him to the, to the shore and all of a sudden everything changes for Peter and if I was writing this story I, here's how I would end it and they brought in this huge catch of fish and they all got rich and they built really big houses and had lots of kids and lived happily ever after that's awesome way to go Peter you went through the door and look what happened because that's how we write stories isn't it that if we do the good thing, if we do the right thing, if we take that risk, then it's going to pan out because we're the good guys and we're doing what God wants us to do and, and we take a step and then everything works out perfect and, and we get to live happily ever after in a big house with lots of kids and all this stuff. Chariots, leather tunics, great stuff, right? We get it all. But that's not how the story goes. That's not what happens. Here's the first thing that happens is that Peter, when he sees this catch of fish, when he sees what's happened, this is a miracle. Peter responds this way. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. There's a sudden moment of clarity for Peter he realizes who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he's the Son of God. And when he realizes who Jesus is, when he gets this clear look at who Jesus is, suddenly he realizes who he is. You see, there's nothing in the New Testament prior to this that tells us Peter was a bad guy. In fact, he, he owns his own boat, and he's in a partnership with his buddies, he works hard, he has a family, he takes care of all that stuff, he, he does all his basic, there's nothing that says he's a really bad guy, but yet when he comes next to Jesus, he really sees who he is, and here's the story for us, is that we're all here this morning, for goodness sakes, we're in church, we're pretty good people, right? I mean, we sang the songs, or we lip sync them, you know, we were here, 
maybe we wrote a little check, maybe we gave some money, you know, but we, I mean, there ought to be some points for that. And we've kind of grown up in the church, and we've never, you know, committed a heinous crime. We, we've never killed anybody. We, we're, we, you know, we've lived a pretty good life. There ought, to be, there ought to be some credit for that in our lives. But here's the problem, is that when we stand up next to the perfect one, when we see ourselves in the light of the one who never sinned, we realize who we are. Not the nice church people who do a pretty good job, but we see ourselves up next to Jesus. And here's what happened to Peter. He was a pretty good guy, but when he stood next to Christ, when he was in the shadow of the God Almighty, Jesus, he recognized the fact that compared to Jesus, he was a sinful man. And sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't own up to that, that we feel like, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I do all those things. I'm, I'm better than most people. That's kind of who I am. But until we stand next to Jesus, until we see ourselves in light of who Jesus is, we'll never really appreciate it. And that's what happened to Peter that day. When he saw himself next to Jesus, he recognized the fact that he was a sinful man. And that's where real opportunity starts for us. That's when real transformation starts for us. When we see ourselves compared to Jesus, not compared to everybody around us, not compared to other people out there, but next to Jesus. So Peter recognized who he was but Jesus doesn't leave him there. They were all amazed and astonished. But verse 10 says this, and, and so also were James and John, their partner, the sons of Zebedee, partners with Simon. But Jesus says to Simon, do not be afraid. He says, Peter, I, you get it, you see yourself, but don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be catching men. You know, there's three magic words here. From now on. Peter, because you were willing to throw the nets on the other side, because you were willing to take a risk, because you were willing to do something that was in everybody else's eyes looked dumb, nobody would ever do, because you've seen, because of that, you've seen me for who I am. You've recognized me for who I am. And now, from now on, Peter, everything's going to change. From now on, you're not going to be the same person. From now on, the trajectory of your life is going to be completely different than you thought. And when we look at our lives, there are these from now on moments in our lives when we trust the Lord, when we go through the door, when we take a risk, when we take that opportunity that he gives us, there's a from now on moment that he says everything is going to change for you. The direction of your life is going to change. The trajectory of your life is going to change. And what Jesus says to Peter is that you're going to be a fisher of men that you just thought this was a big deal today. You just thought that what happened when you threw your nets over today and caught all of those fish was a big deal. But just wait. I'm going to change everything about your life. I'm going to change everything that you thought really mattered. Revelations 3, verses 7 and 8 say this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open, and no one opens. I know your works, 
Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So listen to the words of Jesus here. He says, I have opened a door, and when I open a door, no one can close it. And he is talking to the church and he is saying, when I open a door for you, when I have opened a door, nobody else can close that door. And then he says something I find actually pretty humorous because he says, I know you don't matter much. I don't, you don't account for much. You don't have much power. You can't do this on your own. You're not strong enough or smart enough to do this on your own. But here's the secret. You have been faithful to my word. That's what matters. When he looks at Peter, he says, Peter, you're not ready for this, but you've been faithful to my word. You've been faithful to me, and now I'm going to do something. You see, Jesus isn't looking for powerful, strong people. He is looking for people who are obedient people. He's looking for people who trust him. And he says, now see what I will do with your life when you trust me. That, that God is the God of the open doors. He opens doors in our lives, and then he challenges us to go through those doors. Will, he, will we trust him to walk through that door? Here, here's the problem. We don't actually know what's on the other side of the door all the time, do we? And so we have to decide, okay, I, I, okay, the Lord seems to have opened a door here, but I'm not quite sure what's on the other side. Do I really want to go through there? Because, I mean, it could be something hard. It, it could be something scary. It could be something I've never experienced before. Do I really want to go through that door? And the Lord has constantly challenged us, do you trust me more than what you can see? Do you trust me more than you know? Are you willing to let me do things in your life that that you never would have imagined before? Will you go through the door? Will you trust me and walk through the door? Because you might be weak, but I'm strong. And I can do more for you than you can imagine Doors can mean lots of things. They can mean safety, the door's locked and bolted, we feel safe inside. Uh, they can mean hiddenness, that no one knows what's behind the door. Uh, or they can mean rejection, <laughs> she slammed the door in my face. Uh, they can mean rest, maybe a young mother behind the bathroom door, it's the only place of quiet and rest that they can get, you know. Uh, but this, this passage means none of those things. Revelation speaks of an open door, a door that requires us to make a decision. The question is, are we going to go through it? There's unknown, and for some of us, there's adventure. For some, it's fear. But for all of it, it's change. And are we willing to go through it? What are we going to do? God opens a door, and it doesn't guarantee our future. It's not simply something better in our lives if we'll go through it, but it involves something better that we cannot fully know until we go through. We cannot fully know what's on the other side until we're willing to trust him and go through the door. The question for us is, do I trust the Lord? Am I willing to go through the door? Peter is going to be a great picture of this for us because, you know, What's going to happen to Peter is, is that in, in a little over three years, he, he's going to be in Jerusalem, and he's going to preach his very first sermon 
and more than 3,000 people are going to respond to the gospel and the church is going to be birthed and he's going to have to take a moment and catch his breath in the middle of the excitement and the chaos and think back to that day on the shore when Jesus said to him, Peter, from now on, you're going to be fishing for men. From now on, you're going to be catching men. Then I'm going to do something. You don't completely understand it now. You don't completely uh, even comprehend what's going to happen. But now Peter is standing in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem. He's preaching his first sermon. 3,000 people respond, and he's going, this is what Jesus was talking about. This is what he meant. This is what it looks like when you walk through the door, that Jesus makes something bigger out of your life than you could ever imagine. He does something, he does something more powerful with your life than you could have ever dreamed. Do I have the trust? Do I have the confidence in him? Not the confidence in myself. He's, Peter's a fisherman. There was nothing in his life that said he was ready to preach that sermon except that he had been with Jesus and he had been faithful to the Lord. But there was no preparation for him. He hadn't led any big organizations. He hadn't led anything big. He didn't know what to do with 3,000 brand new Christians, brand new converts. And so here's, here's one of the great words for us, all right? That there's a myth that, Lord, as soon as I'm ready, I'll learn more, I'll pray more, I'll study more, I'll do more, I'll go to more, whatever it is. But the, the, the myth is that we're, we're never, we're never going to be ready. Uh, we, God's called us to be faithful. He's called us to step through the door. I think being ready um, is way overrated. It's are we willing to go through the door? So maybe here is Peter's six-word biography. Fishing life, Jesus calls, follow Jesus. Fishing life, Jesus calls, follow Jesus. We talk about this sometimes that we don't always know where we're going, and, and actually that's not what really matters the most. What really matters is that we know who we're following right? And Peter knew who he was following. He wasn't quite sure all the time where he was going, but he knew he was following Jesus and that Jesus was going to do something. Jesus told Peter, from now on, I'm changing everything. From now on, I'm changing the trajectory of your life. You know, if Jesus had told Peter <laughs> ahead of time, hey, Peter, so from now on, you're going to be fisher of men and let me tell you what it's going to look like in a little over three years. You're going to stand up in Jerusalem and you're going to preach your first sermon, Peter. And it's going to be awesome because 3,000 people are going to respond to the gospel and, and you're going to plant the first church. The church is going to be birthed out of that sermon and, and, and you're going to be one of the leaders of the church and you're going to go down in history. And later on, we're going to have this Bible and your name is going to be really prominent. And everybody's going to know who you are and it's going to be this great thing. What, what, if, what if Jesus had told Peter that in the beginning? Do you think it would have helped? You know, Peter might have panicked. He might have ran. He might have been so overwhelmed with the idea that he couldn't, he, he couldn't deal with it. He might have frozen on the spot. Or, or here's the other problem, and this is the problem that I think I would have had if Jesus had told Peter ahead of time, hey, in a little over three years, you're going to preach this sermon and 3,000 people are going to respond. Peter was going to spend the next three years working on his sermon and not listening to Jesus. I'm afraid that's what I would have done. I would have spent the next three years working on my opening and working on the content. What's going to be the conclusion? Am I going to bring it home? And, and I would have missed what Jesus had for me. 
Peter didn't know any of that. He just simply followed Jesus, and he trusted Jesus. And the result is that Jesus used him. He birthed the church from that sermon. From now on, everything's going to change. So so what do we do with this, and, and how do we know even when God's opening a new door for us? An an open door is not simply a a new opportunity, but it's a new opportunity that's provided by God for us. Will things turn out like Peter? Man, I have no idea. I have no idea how it's going to turn out. But here's what I know for sure, that God's primary will in your life is not the number of achievements that you rack up, but it's the person that you become. Did you get that? God's primary will for your life isn't the number of achievements that you rack up, but it's the person that you become. Jesus wasn't keeping score on Peter's sermon. He wasn't critiquing Peter's sermon that day. But Jesus had transformed Peter by his, through his faithfulness and through his obedience and through his humility, and God was able to use him because it's really about what the Lord wants. God's primary will for your life is that you look like Jesus. We were created in his image and he wants his image to shine through our lives. He wants to speak to the world through who we are. When Peter walked away from that boat that day, he wasn't prepared for what was ahead. The truth is being ready truth about being ready is that we're never really ready. But we trust the Lord. So I hope that you'll follow this journey with us this summer. The places that we'll go, that you'll consider the doors that the Lord may be opening for you. And, and I know that we love to get a yellow legal pad and draw a line down the middle and put the pros and the cons on each side and we kind of try to make our best call. But what if we decided, you know what, Lord, I think I'll trust you with this one. I think I'm going to go through this door that you've opened for us. And maybe together through the summer, we can discover how to see the doors that the Lord opens. And together, we can get the courage and the peace to step through those doors that God opens for us. Maybe we can do some of this together. And then maybe, maybe the six-word story of our life might be something like this. Took the doors, found new life. Took the doors, found new life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the fact that you have opened doors for us and that you are calling us to go through. And Lord, there is uncertainty and fear and risk. We get all of that, but Lord, we're following you. It's not about those things. It's about who we're following. And so, Lord, we need courage this morning. Uh, We need wisdom. Lord, we need to trust you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would challenge us with maybe some things that we've been putting off, maybe some doors that we haven't been willing to go through, and Lord, that you would speak to us this morning by your Spirit uh, that we might take a step of faith to go through that door, to follow you, to see what the adventure is on the other side. Because, Lord, we know that you're with us. We love you, we thank you, we give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.